Good to see each of you tonight. Several of you have asked, where's Stuart? You asked that last week. Um, he's gone for four weeks, just, just from here. Uh, he serves in other areas and teaches as well as I do, so I am uh, filling in for him. And when he gave me the opportunity, if you weren't here last week, I shared with you since I never finished the book of Philippians on Sunday morning in both services before our pastor came, I'm going to do it now. So if you don't like the book of Philippians, if you don't like grace, if you don't like about mercy, if you don't like about what Jesus wants, then you can leave. But if you want to hear, this is, I'm just joking. If, if you want to hear what God has to say as we finish this great book, I think you'll be encouraged because I didn't write it. The scripture is written not by man, it's written by God. And when it's written by man, you can't trust it. When it's written by God, you can trust it. His word is true. And so therefore the authority is never the messenger. The authority is the one who wrote the message. So we just come to bow before him. And last week we covered verses four through seven. The title of my message last week was when relationships go sideways. And we had a little hiccup in the chapter four verse two in the book of Philippians between a couple of ladies, they were having a problem and they couldn't solve the problem. And it was a public problem or Paul wouldn't have been able to call it out because it was visible in the church. It was affecting the unity of the church. So he called a spade a spade in chapter four, verse two, and also brought a true companion, someone who had served alongside him. Sometimes you need a referee. Sometimes you need a counselor to step in. And the thing about it is when relationships go sideways, it always affects the unity of the body because when people are at odds, it speaks against what Jesus is really all about. If he died so that we could be unified in him and he's the God of all unity, it kind of sends a mixed signal to the community at Philippi when two ladies couldn't get along and it could have been two men. It doesn't really matter. But the text was talking about when relationships go sideways. So we talked about that. And when relationships go sideways, this is just a little bit of review. In chapter four, also what happens is you begin to struggle, like verse four said, with rejoicing. When it says rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, when you have issues in relationships that aren't resolved, it is very hard to rejoice. In fact, Paul says it twice because he's trying to get the message across. And so one of the things that happens in relationships is even though both people may be in Christ, they aren't appropriating that which they are in Christ. So rather than living out of the well and the reservoir of joy, they're living out of the flesh and their flesh is causing all kinds of problems. So that's what was happening in this church in Philippi. And then in verse five, a little review, let your gentleness be known to all men. Well, you can't be gentle when you're angry. And so Paul's addressing gentleness. He's talking about making things right. And then in verse six, he says, be anxious for nothing. If you've ever been at odds with someone, not only is your joy disturbed, not only are you not very gentle, but you're very anxious about a lot of things. It's hard to be at peace. And so God gives us peace, but in this situation, these ladies were not able to come to that position. So therefore it was affecting the church. What was private was not private, it was public. 
So it was affecting the church at Philippi. So he said, be anxious for nothing. Now tonight, he's gonna move into, let me get my water here. My mouth is a little dry. Sorry for the camera guys on this, but we're gonna talk about truth. We're gonna talk about when our thoughts go sideways when our thoughts go sideways. So not only can relationships go sideways, thoughts can go sideways. So when you think about the pandemic that we've been in, there's a lot of people that are thinking thoughts that they really shouldn't be thinking. But because a lot of times they've been closed in or pinned in or fearful of something, their thought life uh, you know, right thoughts lead to right living, but rotten thoughts lead to rotten living. So Paul's gonna address the thought life. So tonight the title is, When Thoughts Go Sideways. So this is a really incredible book. This is a really incredible teaching on the church at Philippi. So here's our passage tonight. Here's what the text says. Finally, and finally, when Paul says finally, he's not closing the book, but this is his final exhortation. He says this, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good rapport, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate or dwell, your, your Bible may say, meditate on these things. And then he says in verse nine, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, Paul says. He, he, he sets a path for them to follow. The apostle Paul's not on a mountain throwing a stick in a fire. He's been in, he, he, they know him, they've seen him, they've observed his life. He said, all these things about me, discipleship is setting a path for people to follow. He says, these things, these do, Practice these things, do these things, and the God of peace will be with you. He talked about the peace of God in verse seven. I told you last week, the peace of God is when your heart sits down. It's when your heart sits down. Peace, be still, is when your heart sits down and God infuses you with his peace. So he says the peace of God that passes all understanding last week and this week he ends with the God of peace. So the God of peace is the God who produces the peace in our lives so that our heart can sit down and so that we can understand that our thought life can be on the right track and not go off the rails. So that's what Paul's saying here. And he would be writing to a group of people, the church at Philippi. And this is Hellenistic language. This is Greco-Roman heritage. So for them, when Paul would say, think on things that are true, that are noble, that are just, and that are pure, they would think that's worldly. You think that's church language. We've heard all this. But to them, the readers, the, the listeners of this letter that was a circular letter, so as it was read, they would think that's the culture, that's worldly. They would think of it as a list of things in the school classroom of things that the culture says is good, true, noble, just. Here's what Paul's doing. He's saying, I want you in Christ to take that which the culture says is good and I want you to raise it to the standard of what God says is good because 
I'm not gonna remove you from the culture of Philippi. Chapter three, we are citizens of heaven, Paul says. You're citizens of heaven, but you're not leaving Philippi anytime soon. So therefore, since you're not leaving Philippi anytime soon, you need to know who you are in me because the culture says these things are good. That's the culture at Philippi. But what God is trying to teach them is, no, I want you to know that I'm good. And I am the one that produces all of these things in you. It's like when Christ begins to live his life through us, we reflect the character that he has. We're not the light, he is the light, but we're reflectors of that light. So these are things that you don't go out and do. These are things that you are a reflection of because of who you are. And one of the things I thought about was bringing a mirror on the stage. Well, we'll say this is the mirror because one of the things we do when we wanna know who we are is we look into the mirror. And so, but that's not the issue here because when we look into the mirror, we all think we're, we're doing pretty good. But we need to know who we are based on God's word. So that's what Paul's saying. When thoughts go sideways. So he says here, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true. In other words, there's a certain fuel that you and I are built to run on. I had a friend who uh, way back bought a brand new diesel man truck. Big old dually. I guess that he's, he thought it was a man card for him. The rest of us had regular trucks that ran on regular gas. And he actually had a regular truck that ran on regular gas. And he bought a diesel engine truck. And so he went to the station to fill up with gas. And you know how it's labeled. The diesel is in the green, right? It's the green handle. So anytime I pull up to Costco, which is 20 cents cheaper than anywhere else you can get it, even, even now, um, I always avoid the green one because the green one to me means diesel. Well, to him who had a new diesel truck, he didn't realize that green identified diesel. So he filled his truck with gas. And guess what happened to his truck? It broke down. Because a diesel engine is only made to run with diesel. And see what happens in our lives, the thoughts that go into our head and into our mind. We are built to run on the fuel of what God says is the good thought life. Not what the culture says, but what God says to fill your mind with. So if we go for the green, when we should be going for this side, there's gonna be some internal damage. There's gonna be some parts in the engine that break down. It may not happen immediately, but when you fill your mind with rotten thoughts instead of God's thoughts, there's a breakdown in the process. It is gonna happen. So Paul is telling this church, at Philippi, this is incredibly important that you have the right thought life. So let's think about what's right here between our eyes, our thought life, our mind. Remember in Philippians chapter one, verse 21 is the theme verse in chapter one, for Christ is my life. Chapter two, for Christ is my attitude, two verse five. Chapter three, Christ is my goal. Chapter four, Christ is my strength. That's kind of the handles in the book of Philippians. But right here before he gets to 13, he's talking about when thoughts go sideways. So here's what he says, finally brethren, look at the text. 
whatever things are true, whatever things are true, that which is true is the source of that which is truth. You see, when we stand for truth, and when we stand for what is true, it is gonna stand in the face and in the odds of the culture that we live in. Because the world says that there is no absolute truth. The world says truth depends on the situation or the circumstance. But here's what I wanna tell you based on God's word. The Bible says that God the Father is true. The Bible says that Jesus the Son is true. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is true. It says the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth, the spirit of truth. It says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So we have God the Father, so you have the law office of God, God, and God. They are all true. God the Father had the plan of salvation. God the Son procured the plan by dying on the cross. The Holy Spirit didn't die on the cross, but the Holy Spirit is true, just like God the Father. Father and God the Son, and he comes to live in us. And what Paul is saying to the church at Philippi is you've been infused by the power of the Holy Spirit. So finally, brethren, think on things which are true. God is true. Jesus is true. The Holy Spirit is true. And God handed down truth to us. And so we stand in the truth. And when we stand in the truth of God's word, we will stand in this culture and they will be at odds with us. They want nothing to do with truth. They label truth whatever they want to label truth. But we learned last week that the house is on fire because two ladies couldn't get along. The house is on fire, Paul says. Well, let me tell you something. The house is still on fire in chapter four, verse eight, because the culture doesn't want to acknowledge what is true. And so if we're going to speak to our community and to our world and to our Philippi, we've got to tell them the truth. The truth is God loves you. The truth is Jesus died for you. The truth is we love you enough to tell you in the midst of your pain, there's a God that wants you to be uncomfortable with your sin because he loves you enough and died and Jesus died for you. So we love you in your pain, but we love you enough to tell you the truth to be uncomfortable in your sin. And so we're confronted with the truth. And the Bible says, think on true things. So if Jesus is the truth and the house is on fire, let me give you an example. There are exit signs all over this building. If I told you right now there was a fire, many of you would sit right here. You wouldn't believe me. Even though there's exit signs, and I said, listen, just go out of the exits. Go out any of these exits right here and you can go to a hallway. Now, what if I told you for the sake of illustration, you went to a hallway and there was only one exit out of the hallway into a corridor which led outside the building. There was a man that was out in the hallway saying, hey, hey, follow me, follow me. Many of you wouldn't acknowledge the fire. Number two, you wouldn't follow the man, but let me tell you something about, he's the one who built the building. He knows the truth about the hallway and the corridor and the real exit. Jesus Christ is the one who is all truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I am among the ways, or I am some of the ways, or I am among them. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. All truth originates from God. And if all truth originates from God, he is the source of truth. And so if we're gonna do true things as people of God, we've got to look at the one who originates truth. It comes from him. So we as people, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are to think on what things that are true. Now, how many times in my life and how many times in your life 
do we think about things that aren't true? Many of us are paralyzed with fear tonight. Many are paralyzed with worry. Well, what if this was to happen? Or what if I was to get sick? Or what if I was to lose my job? Paul doesn't say, think about things like that. That's worry, that's panic, that's fear. He says, think about things that are undeniably true. And what is undeniably true is God is true. The Father is true, the Son is true, the Holy Spirit is true, I'm wrapped in truth. And I need to know the truth. And if you wanna know the truth here, go to the Bible. It's filled with truth. It is filled with truth. We go to the pages of the Bible and we say, God, we wanna know you. You're the God of all truth. So here's what he says. If you're taking a definition of these, I'll give them to you. That which is true, that which is true is the source of that which is truth. So the grid for what is true originates from God himself only God is true and only God can produce truth. So even though the house is in fire and the world sees truth as something different than we do, it's, they, they think it's a lie, but we know it's the true things. So we as people of truth, we as people who are filled with God's word, we do true things. So we don't come preloaded with the sin program. We come, pre, I mean, we come preloaded with the sin program, not the truth program. So you have to come to Jesus Christ as your savior, remove and replace the old program of sin, replace it with a new program in Jesus Christ. Old things are passed away, everything becomes new because we don't come preloaded with the truth, we come preloaded with the sin program. So now we don't think sinful thoughts, we think things that are undeniably true that God says are true. So we understand that. So when you think about your thoughts, Notice what Paul does here in this passage. He doesn't say, don't do this. He doesn't give you a list of don'ts. Here's what he does. Gives us a list of do's. Because if you get a list of don'ts, if I tell you don't do this, then immediately what happens is it stirs up something in you and you wanna do what you say you can't do. If you're on a diet and I say, don't eat pizza, that's all you think about is pizza. So if I tell you right now, right now, don't look to the left, many of you are gonna have a hard time because don't look to the left because there's a person standing over here. You're gonna have a hard time because I said don't do that. Now if I tell you don't look at your socks, don't think about your shoes right now, some of you that's all you're thinking about. And, and when you're thinking about your socks and your shoes, you just forgot about the person that's standing over here on the left. If I tell you, don't think about the steak that you could have at Taste of Texas right now, sizzling with butter, cooked medium, with a side of asparagus, don't think about that. That's all you think about. You left the thought of what your shoes and socks were to think about that. And so you see how the cycle is? We fill our minds with truth. We think about not what we don't do, we think about what God says to do. So we start thinking thoughts that are positive, which replace the old thoughts that are negative. So right thinking leads to right living. A transformed mind leads to a transformed life. Behavior and belief match up when you understand the truth of who God says he is. Now listen, because he is truth, we are true people as well, which means that we, if you're in business, if you're gonna be a true business person, 
you sell a product and you don't cut corners on that, on that product. Do you know why? Because you're not being true. If you fill out classwork, if you can remember some of the classwork you filled out, you don't put your name at the top if that's not your work because that is not true. We only yield to the truth and truth is a person. And so what we understand is we start thinking thoughts that God says to fill your mind with. So we fill our mind, which is good with things that are good in order to guard us from those things that are bad. It's not a don't think this, don't do this. It's no, do this. And when you do this and walk in obedience to the truth of God's word, these things fall aside. Your mind is filled with the peace of God. It's filled with the presence of God. It's filled with the power of God because you're basing your life on truth. And so we are filled with the word of God. Paul says, whatever, th- whatever you do, think about things that are true. When Paul makes a list like he's making, the first word is always the one that's most important. Whether it's Paul or Peter making a list, it's always the first one and everything else flows from that. All right? Like the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kind. So all love is produced in that. So here we have what is true. That's important to understand. Let's look at the second thing. Here's what he says in the text. Think about whatever things are noble. There's my towel. Thank you, Lord. The word noble means to be honorable. It means to have dignity. It's a character that is to be revered. It's a reverent, worshipful character. It's reverence toward God. It's reverence toward his doctrine. That's what it means to be honorable. That's what it means to be noble. It comes from someone who is consistent. Someone who is consistent and honorable and noble in their walk. People that were honorable in 2000 doesn't mean they're honorable today in 2021. You see, you could used to be honorable, but it doesn't mean you're worthy of respect and dignity today. It depends on whether you're yielding to the truth of God's word and you're walking in the belief and behavior of what God says is true and what God says is honorable. And so it's a reverent and worshipful character. And so when you're honorable, you are consistent. And when you're consistent, you're not dependent upon an audience. When you're consistent in your nobleness or in your dignity, or if you're an honorable person, you are a person that's in agreement with God. So you're a person that's consistent. You agree with God that God is all who he says he is. He's God and I'm not. He's the truth, he lives in me. So if I wanna be an honorable person, I am one that lives in the behavior of God and the truth of God and my character is worshipful. My reverence to God is worshipful because he's the one that has delivered me. And so now I'm living in the fullness of who he is. That makes me honorable. The world has a different definition for someone who's noble and someone who's honorable and someone who has respect. We respect those in the military. We honor them. They are noble. Most of them are. You always have somebody that goes sideways. But most people deserve respect and honor in that way because they carry out their job with reverence and respect and character and integrity. Same thing with the police force. Yes, you have people that go sideways, but we honor those who wear a uniform because not only of the position, but the person in the position who is wearing the uniform. If you just take a man with a 
blue jeans and a gray sweatshirt, he's a man with blue jeans and a gray sweatshirt. But if you put a man in a Marine uniform, that's an identity that characterizes him as a person that the few, the proud, the Marines, that, that deserves honor and respect. So the, if you take this and you understand what Paul's doing in Philippi, he's saying, listen, God has given you the banner of his grace. He has given you, he's not only saved you from your sin, it's called living grace. You're living in the power of the Holy Spirit by being true to what you know is true and being true to him. And now you are noble and honest and you have dignity because of Christ in you. We have put on the uniform of Christ. It changes us. It's a banner that we wear. It's a suit that we dress up in and it's the life of Christ in us. So I can't act any way I want to act. I act with honor, respect, and dignity because that's who God is and he defines it. He defines it. That's what the scripture says. Now the third word is dignity. I feel like I've run it. I need to lose a little weight and uh, do some breathing exercises. The word just, here's what he says. So it's true, think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever things are just. The word just means right, all right? It means to do righteous by people. Because you're in a right relationship, the word just means you're in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So when Christ came into my life, positionally he was holy. He's the one who is holy. But when I entered into a relationship with him, he made, th- he made me right with him through his son, Jesus Christ, and he has given me the gift of righteousness. So positionally, I am righteous in him, but practically, I am righteous when I behave according to the character that he is. And so that's what it means to be just. It means to be righteous. The word righteous means to, to fear God. And when you fear God and you reverence God and you understand that God is righteous, you don't have to fear anyone else. And so when I walk in this world, I don't fear anything else because I have a fear for him. I have a healthy, uh, a whole, a wholesome fear for his power, for his presence in my life. And, and so do you. And so the idea is that because he is righteousness and he has given me righteousness as a gift, I do right by people. I treat people the way we should treat people, right? Now, if I'm living in the flesh, I'm not treating people like Jesus would want to treat them. But if I'm living in the spirit yielded to him, it is never wrong to do the right thing. That's what God says is right. It acts in total conformity. The word just is one who acts in total conformity to that which God says is right. So he said, listen, minister justice to people. Do right by people. I remember Emory years ago. You won't remember this if you're not very old. But he offices, he still does, but he, at the annex over here. I was working with him and he was the student minister and somebody robbed the bank next door, Texas Commerce. A lady came running in to our offices and said, there's a bank robber, there's a bank robber, there's a bank robber. So if you're gonna do right by people and people are in need, you respond to the need. So Emory, being righteous in God, righteousness is a gift given to us. You do right by people. You do the just thing. You do the merciful thing. And he jumped in a van and chased these guys all over Sagemont. He tells it better than I do. They were throwing out all kinds of stuff, shooting and everything. 
And the next thing you know, there's helicopters. Next thing you know, there's a news uh, crew set up in our office because they captured uh, the bank robbers and Emory was the hero because he did just things. Now listen, here's what Paul's saying. It's never wrong to do the right thing. And the way that you do the right thing is you understand you're connected to the right God. The right God gives you the ability to do the right thing. You may want to do the wrong thing. That's not who you are. Positionally, you're in Christ. Practically, you walk out that behavior and belief by loving people and being a channel and a reservoir of God's grace. So when people are oppressed, when people are hurting, when people need something, you give them Jesus and you tell them the truth and you let them know we care. That's what we do at Sagemont. We're just people. Fourth thing here. Wow. We're never going to finish. <laughs> whatever things are pure, whatever things are pure, write this down. That which is undefiled, it's the purity of doctrine. Right devotion flows from right doctrine. What the Philippians would look at is it would be a picture of an offering that they would bring that would be sanctified or cleansed. That's what the Philippians would think, but Paul's talking about the God of purity here. So he says, think on those things which are pure. So, so those things that are pure, you see in my opening illustration, we're built to run on a certain fuel. And if you put the wrong ingredients in the system, the system is gonna break down. So the way that you can think about purity is you get the God of purity that focuses your mind and heart on his truth, his nobleness, and his justice, and then you can yield to the one who is pure. See, God has impeccable character. He's totally pure. He is undefiled in every way. And so when my thought life begins to go sideways, I think about, do I fill my mind with the purity of God's word? It's not saying no to this sin, it's saying yes to Jesus who gives me the ability to say no to that sin. If you focus on your sin, you're focusing on the wrong thing, you focus on the Savior. So we think pure thoughts, people that are hooked on pornography, that's not pure, that's not the, that's not the ingredients that you're to run on. God did not build us the way when you look at things and images in your mind God says, I didn't build you that way. I didn't make you that way to run on that fuel. And a lot of people would say this, oh, I don't look at pornography. But here's what they do. They compare their thought life to those, say, well, I'm not, it's, I'm not as bad as them because they look at pornography. The standard is God, not pornography. The standard is God, not somebody else's thought life. He's pure. How do you have a pure thought life? You fill your mind. If you want to have a, a peace-filled life, you fill your mind with the word of God, the purity of God, the holiness of God. You begin to read, you begin to study, you begin to ask God to pour into you and you begin to receive that which he gives you by grace. So that which is pure. And then he says here, that which is lovely, whatever things are lovely. So the word lovely here would mean a winsome, pleasing, agreeable person. One who is friendly toward others. Does that describe you? A lot of people say, well, I don't have any friends. Let me tell you something. Under living grace, you can become a friend even if you're not friendly. Because Christ in you is friendly. And when you yield to Christ, you begin to have a winsome, lovely, agreeable attitude. People begin to draw, be drawn to you because of Christ in you. And, and you don't repel people away. So we're having a ton, 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 tons of visitors. 
And many of us on staff are coming together to work on greeters. Uh, you know, we have greeters at doors, but they're not at every door. So we need, we need people at every entrance welcoming people and having a winsome attitude and being lovely and being agreeable. Because if you come on this campus and you're a guest, it'll drive you nuts. You can't find your way. And we want to be the kind of people that welcome people. We don't get a second chance for a first impression. So when we are lovely, when we fill the hallways with lovely people and, and people that want to host people and people that are agreeable and are just and are pure and that are true and that are noble, people begin to not be drawn to us, they begin to be drawn to him. And when they're drawn to him, we can get them to the person that can help them. And God would use us. So we are pure, we are lovely. The word lovely is the characteristic of one who makes friends easily. Then a good report. Here's what he says here. Then a good report. Not a bad report. One's behavior is well spoken of by others. That's what the good report is. And the report is not what you say about yourself. The report is what others say about your behavior. See, we all think we're pretty good, don't we? We all look in the mirror and say, yeah, I'm okay, I'm doing pretty good compared to so-and-so because Jimmy down here, you know, I'm a whole lot better than he. He's not the standard. God's the standard, not somebody else. You don't compare yourself with anybody else. You say, God, I wanna have a good report. Why? Because you're good. That's all that you are. You've been so good to me. Your character is good. It's impeccable. So if they're gonna give a good report about me, they're gonna have to see you in me. I'm gonna have to yield to you in me. And the only good report that can ever come out of me is when you've killed my flesh and Jesus has been seen in my life. That's a good report. If anybody ever says anything good about you, you better say it's because of him. Because God says, I'll share my glory with no man. Then he says this, we're gonna have to go quick here. You have no place to go. I do, I'm hungry. The taste of Texas is, I'm gonna have to settle for Longhorn. And here's what he says. If, the word if there is a first class conditional if, it means since. Since there is any virtue and since there is anything praiseworthy. So let me give you what those two words mean. The word virtue means excellence. It means to evoke one's praise. So since there is excellence, since there is virtue. Listen, if, we gonna, if, if someone is going to evoke our praise, then it has to be the excellent one. So excellence always draws attention to God, not to man. This is important to understand. That's what excellence does. It draws attention to God, not man. And we are living in a day when people are using God to glorify their own ability. Excellence and virtue is not performance. It always kills me. I was a pastor for a long time, senior pastor. And when we would do a Christmas pageant and my worship leader would have all of the people stand up that performed in the Christmas pageant and everybody would stand and give them praise. I was okay with that if he would have followed it with this step. And the only reason that these people do what they do is to glorify God. So let's give him all praise. Let's give him virtue and excellence because he's the one that evokes praise in our life. You see, if you're not careful, you can draw attention to man and man can perform. But God says, I'm not interested in performance. I'm interested in worship. I'm interested in excellence. That's one of our core values. So Paul says, since there is excellence, that's who God is. 
And since there is anything praiseworthy, so being praiseworthy would be, the idea would be here of to sing praises to the Lord. So how could we not sing praises to the Lord for the one who is excellent in us? How could we not, the one who evokes praise in us and gives us the ability to connect with him, how could we not sing praises to him? It's it's not about a style. It's not about go to the 1115. No, go to the 930. It's blended. Listen, throw those away and get your heart straight and go right here to God. Listen, if this is contemporary and this is blended, you've missed it both. Here's God up here saying, give me praise. I know some of you are going to email me and I'm ready. Go ahead. I'm fine with it. And here's what Paul says. So, so he's talking about, so if things are virtuous or excellent and praiseworthy, watch this. If either one of these things fall to the side, then you stop thinking about them. You stop thinking about them. You, you, you've, you've hit something wrong here. That's what he's saying. Then he says this. If there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. It's the word dwell. It's the word that means to ponder, to consider. It's a word that means to think upon something, look at it, come up with a conclusion, run it through the grid of God's word and give attention to that. That's what it means. So he's saying meditate on these things, meditate, dwell, come to a conclusion, ponder, consider these things that are all a gift from God and meditate on these things, fill your mind on these because these are things that you are built to run on. You're not built to run on diesel when you're supposed to put regular in. You're built to run on the fuel that comes from the Spirit of God. That's what Paul says. We're coming home. We'll be done. Here's what he says. The things which you've learned, verse 9, the things which you've learned from me and received. Paul cut a path for them to follow. The received would be, they, they lived their lives in observation of Paul. There was a disciple, teacher, learner, follower relationship here. So Paul says, you know, you need to do these things, the things you've learned, the things you've received, the things you've heard and you've saw in me. Look at this, in me, these do. Do this. I've modeled it for you, now do this. How do you do it? According to the power of God that lives in you. And the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. So we had the peace of God in verse seven. So if you wanna have the peace of God, you've gotta know the God of peace. If you know the God of peace, you'll have the peace of God. So the God of peace and the peace of God, it works together simultaneously. So if we wanna have a peace-filled life and we don't wanna have an anxious life, but we wanna live a true life and a just life and a worthy life and a noble life, if we wanna do all those things, he says, you've learned from me, you see in me, then do this. Do it, live it out. Belief translates into behavior and the God of peace will be with you. Let me close with this illustration. I uh, received a a gift of a car from my father-in-law years ago. So we were pastoring in Tennessee. We drove down to Houston. It was a Lincoln Mark 8. It's a pretty sporty car. It was uh, my wife's grandmother's car. It was, I forget the year, but it had 7,000 miles. I thought, I looked it up. I Googled. I, I got the price. I said, oh, I'll take it. I'll take it. I won't sell it. I won't sell it. So I took it. And uh, it hasn't been driven for years. So everything was sticky. Uh, steering wheel was sticky. The seat, seats were sticky. I knew it had gas in it for the last two years, so I knew there was probably a problem there. 
So I filled it up with gas. We began to head back from Houston all the way to Tennessee. And the tank was full, but the, the, the gauge inside never would register. And so I had to always guess when I was gonna be on empty. But what I found out is the car began to sputter as we were headed back at a certain point. It just began to sputter and spit. And, and I just barely would make it to the gas station. And then I would call all the guys that I knew that were mechanics and said, what's going on? None of them answered, so I filled it up again. And then it dawned on me as I filled it up, the car would continue to go. And then when I would, it would sputter again, I would find the gas station. We did about five of those things or six of those all the way home and it sputtered and I made it. I took it to my mechanic. Here's what he said. You have a fuel pump pressure problem. He said what happens is when the tank is full, it operates on the capacity that it should. But because the gas has sat in there so long, it has corroded the inside of the tank and we need, either you can keep filling it up and guessing or we can replace the fuel tank. And I opted to replace the fuel tank, but I learned a lesson that day that Paul's trying to teach us. If you're gonna have a peace-filled life, then you've gotta fill up with the right stuff. You gotta fill up with the word of God. If you're gonna have a peace-filled life, you gotta have a Jesus-filled life and a truth-filled life and a word-filled life. Jesus fills all in all. The fullness is all in him, Paul says in Ephesians. So if we're gonna run on that which God has built us to run on and we wanna think the things that God wants us to think, we've got to come to a position where we acknowledge that we may have a problem right here. We may have a problem. Many of you are thinking things right now that you shouldn't be thinking. I've thought things that I shouldn't be thinking. But when we begin to fill our minds with God's word and we start doing the right thing, it guards our minds from the wrong thing. And that's what Jesus wants to do in your life. Some of you, you're fearful. You're coming out of a pandemic. You're thinking my thought life is sideways. Get the word of God, read it, study it, let it fill your life. Read this scripture, memorize this, let Paul encourage you in your walk. When relationships go sideways, it's dangerous. When thoughts go sideways, it's dangerous. But when you get the upward look, you can have an outward look that ministers to people. Let's pray. Father, we come by your grace tonight just thanking you for what you're doing in our lives and in our church and in our families. Father, there's no way we can hear words like the Apostle Paul wrote years and years ago, and those words that are inspired, infallible, and inerrant not prick our hearts tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, there are people in this room that need peace, not only the peace of God, but the God of peace in their life. And so I pray you would make their hearts still tonight. I pray that their heart would sit down when their mind sits down and they fill their mind with the word of God. Thank you for being gracious to us, patient with us. All of our lives are so scattered. We run, we're so committed to so many things. And, and, and people would say, I'm overcommitted. I'm overcommitted. I just don't have time to think the right thoughts. Listen, if you have more than one commitment, and that is your commitment to God, then you're overcommitted. You focus on the one commitment to God and love Him and honor Him and let Him produce these characteristics in your life. And then you let God take care of whatever He needs to take care of. We should just have a commitment of loving God and then let Him love people through us. Father, thank you for each person here. 
I pray if anybody doesn't know you, they would receive the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. You can just bow in your heart where you are. Say, Jesus, I need you. I do not have a peace-filled life. I have an anxious-filled life. I have a fear-filled life. And I need you to touch me now. He'll do it. He loves you. He has a plan. Use us, Father. Here at Sagemont, a little blip on the radar screen in Houston, Texas, a church that just wants to glorify you because we honor your word. In Jesus' name, amen.